G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My guest today once said she finds songwriting painful. Well, the rest of us have been profiting from her pain for a little over two decades now. While she grew up in Colorado, she's called Nashville home since the late 80s, becoming a much-covered songwriter and acclaimed performer with a score of awards and nominations to her name, including an induction into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. Today she joins me from England, where she is touring behind her latest album, The Sublime, Dancing with the Beast. Gretchen Peters, welcome to my favourite album. Hi Jeremy, I'm glad to be with you. Well, thanks for being with me. Gretchen, what is your favorite album? Well, first of all, that's an impossible task. But if I have to choose, I'm going to go with Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Early one morning the sun was shining. I was laying in bed. Wondering if she'd changed it all if her hair was still red. Her folks, they said our lives together sure was going to be rough. They never did like Mama's homemade dress. Papa's bank book wasn't big enough. And I was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on my shoes. Heading out for the East Coast, Lord knows I paid some dues. Getting through, tangled up in blue. So this is an interesting record for you to have chosen, because I feel like it's among songwriters and singer-songwriters that I know, it's the most commonly chosen favourite Bob Dylan record. And I know, I'm just wondering, before we get into the main part of our conversation, whether you find that to be true, whether you've got a lot of you know, other artists, friends and peers for whom this is their favourite Dylan record. Yes, and I feel a little bit slightly embarrassed to admit this, but I came I came to it late, although Bob Dylan was one of my very first loves from the time I picked up a guitar at age seven. For some reason, and I'm not sure why, except I think it was the time when it came out, it was the era when it came out, I was, my ears were elsewhere, and I really did not explore that album deeply until maybe 20 years after it came out. So I came to it really late. Well, that's interesting. Let's dig into that a bit. So, well, first, tell me about your initial experience with Dylan, and then what were you listening to when this album came out in the mid-'70s? Well, you know, my initial experience with Dylan was literally as a little kid. You know, I learned how to play guitar at summer camp, and I had a big sister who played Dylan constantly at home. So a lot of those songs, the early first maybe three albums, those songs were had three chords they were fairly easy for me to pick up and so I started singing I mean I I was singing Masters of War at eight years old I don't think I had <laughs> a clue what I was doing but you know I, I was drawn to the songs and also I was drawn to them because they were playable for me you know I mean I, I listened to the Beatles too but I couldn't figure out for the life of me how to make that sound so that was my first brush with Dylan was was just 
picking up the guitar and learning how to play three chord songs. And so I felt like, you know, I felt like that kind of ingrained him in my my songwriter DNA somehow. But by the time Blood on the Tracks came out, it was the mid-70s, and I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and I had discovered country rock music, and thus by, you know, reading album credits and so forth, I'd started to explore country music, and I was a bit of a weirdo. I mean, I was living in a hippie town in the 70s, and my friends were into Yes, and they were into, you know, all kinds of prog rock and everything, and I was in the back bins of a, of a little record store in Boulder looking for George Jones records. So I, I was really, really off on this exploratory search for country music, because I had grown up, I'd never heard it growing up. It was like a brand new thing for me. So I think when Blood on the Tracks came out, I was so deep into discovering country music and learning about it. I was attracted to it for the same reasons that I was attracted to folk music earlier and Dylan earlier. It was the lyric forward kind of, it was all about the stories. It was all about the lyrics and the, and the music was relatively simple to support pretty complex storytelling. So, I mean, I was I was attracted to it for the same reasons, but I, I think I just missed that album somehow until much, much later. So Dylan was making blood on the tracks and you wanted to hear Nashville Skyline or John Wesley Harding again? Yeah, or, you know, I wanted to go deeper into, I, I wanted to hear Johnny Cash, what, you know, why did Johnny Cash matter to Bob Dylan? And I wanted to hear Merle Haggard, who I'd never heard before. I really literally discovered it, like the only brush I'd had with, country music before that was, as I say, the country rock, kind of the, the hippie country bands that were playing the dirt band and Sweethearts of the Rodeo, the Birds, you know, that kind of thing. And I just kind of went on a backwards journey in time discovering this this music that I loved. Okay, so let's fast forward to when you did sort of look back and discover Blood on the Tracks properly. You said like about 20 years later, so we're talking like early, mid-90s at this point? Yeah, and actually, I, I didn't really clue into how brilliant of a record it was until even a bit later. My current husband, who Barry Walsh, who I have been making music with since 1990, really, I don't know, we got into a discussion at one point about Bob Dylan, and he said, what's your favorite Dylan album? And I said, Blonde on Blonde. I guess because that was the last one that I really listened to repeatedly over and over again. I had it memorized. And he said, that can't be your favorite Dylan album. You haven't listened to Blood on the Tracks enough. And I thought, well, okay, fair enough. And he kind of brought it back into my radar. And I listened to it with him a few times. And I thought, you know, what What the hell have I been? I completely overlooked this album. It knocked me out. I think it's definitely, in my opinion, his finest record. And it's also one of the finest records in modern singer-songwriter era, probably. It's funny because it does sort of belong to that. You know, we think of Dylan, particularly in the 60s, as kind of being so far ahead of what everyone else in music was doing. But this is an album that sits right in the middle of that period where people were doing, a lot of people were doing records that were more acoustic based, more stripped back, more based on personal experience, that kind of singer-songwriter music. And this sort of fits, I mean, it's a very elevated version of it, but it does kind of fit sort of squarely in the Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell kind of parallax of the time, I guess. 
It does, or at least at least it opens that door for people like me that that loved the so-called I hate this term, but the so-called confessional singer songwriter music. But I do think that it really transcends that. And I've read things that Dylan really objects to to people calling it autobiographical. And I think I think that I understand why that is because I I think all songs. I don't think songs can be reduced to what they are, quote unquote, about. I think there's a bit of every songwriter in every song that he or she writes. But I also think that Dylan's literary, if you will, abilities are all over that record. Lily, Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. It's it's, it's not it's not just autobiographical. There's a lot of honest pain in it. But there's also an incredible amount of craft and knowledge of, you know, storytelling. And um, there's a lot more to it than just a marriage breakup album. Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Yeah, that's a funny aspect of it because one of the notable things about Dylan through his whole career is how much he's guarded his privacy and how little interest he's ever had in explaining what his songs are really about. So I think as a factor of that, most of the time, you don't know if there's an autobiographical basis to most of his songwriting, whereas this, just because it came out and everyone kind of knows that he was getting divorced around that period and his you know son Jacob has talked about it being about the Bob's marriage that people look at it through that prism but I think what you're saying is there is really important like obviously a song like Tangled Up in Blue is not directly autobiographical that's not about him and Sarah in any like direct literal way well and that's yeah and I think I, I the reason that I am sort of sensitive to that is because when somebody asks you is such and such song about so and so well, it never is and it never isn't exactly. The, and I think a lot of times when you write a song, I, I think even the writer doesn't exactly know what it's about. Some, I, I've had the experience of writing songs and discovering something in the song years later, literally, that I didn't even realize was in there. So I think it's not the songwriter's job in the end to just sort of regurgitate and reorganize the facts of his life. I think it's it's more the songwriter's job to pull up what's just under the surface. And he did that. It's all honest, but it doesn't mean it's all true, I guess, is what I'm saying. I like that. That's a good, I should get that on a t-shirt or something. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Is that something that you find a lot when you're doing like press on a record or something? People want to hold your songwriting to as kind of like a journalistic exercise where people like, they want it to be a one-to-one ratio between point to the event that you're chronicling in exact detail. Whereas I guess the process is much more often like, even if there's a conscious inspiration in real life for something, it's twisted and turned and been combined with something else that happened or something that happened to a friend. And then you've changed all these details because they scan better. And it just, you know, the, the sentiment is maybe drawn directly from real life, but you can never write, you're rarely going to write a song that's an actual journalistic chronicle of events. 
And it wouldn't be very interesting if you did. I think of it sort of akin to, you know, if you had a dream and you were trying to explain your dream to somebody and, you know, and they wanted to know, well, what does this mean and what does that mean? Things are all jumbled up. Some things are more meaningful than others. But what you've done when you've had this dream is you've pulled things up from your subconscious and that's really, to me, more what songwriting is. For me, it doesn't come up quite so much because I'm not, I think I'm more what people would consider a storyteller and less a confessional songwriter, although certainly I go over that line sometimes. But I do tell a lot of quite obviously fictional stories with fictional characters. I obviously haven't been a prostitute in a truck stop or an abused wife or, you know, a lot of the things that I've, a lot of these characters that I've written about. But by the same token, there's plenty of me in those women, in those characters. So I just find the whole question of what is that song about to be sort of an insufficient question. The festival was over and the boys were all planning for a fall. The cabaret was quiet, except for the drilling in the wall. The curfew had been lifted and the gambling wheel shut down. Anyone with any sense had already left town. He was standing in the doorway, looking like the jack of hearts. Well, let's talk about one of the songs you just mentioned then from Blood on the Tracks, which is Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, which is a very long song and a song with like a very complex narrative behind it. And, you know, there's like bank robbers and there's this big Jim who owns the town's only diamond mine. And it's almost like a Dashiell Hammett novel or something, you know. Yes. In a way. Yeah. You know, and he, Dylan, operates in sort of iconic, with iconic kind of characters. They're almost archetypes a lot of times. I think every writer kind of comes back to the same handful of archetypes. Dylan has the sort of outlaw one, the joker, the kind of what I would consider the, the, the kind of Coca Pelli figure that kind of standing outside of everything that's going on and commenting on it. And then the women in his song are really, especially in that song, are really, really interesting. I mean, he's been accused of maybe not drawing three dimensional real women characters, but I would have to disagree. Both of the women in that song are really fascinating characters to me. Well, how do you feel about that more generally? I mean, you just said you disagree with that as a general criticism of of Dylan's work, but let's just talk about that in terms of, you know, the other songs on this record. How do you feel about the female characters across the songs on Plot on the Tracks? Well, there are some pretty brutal songs. You know, Idiot Wind is really tough. It's brutal. But I guess that I react to the honesty in that song, especially in that song. It's brutally honest. And I I guess I don't think of the female character in that song. I don't think of him as sort of judging her. There's no gender bias involved in it to me. That's the song of he's tapped into the bitterness that exists at that moment in a relationship when that's what's happening. And I think it's just honesty. I also think he paints whoever the female sort of third person character is throughout the album in general. He paints her in a pretty complex and multifaceted way. It, neither character's particularly good or bad. They're just, they're, they're really, it's more a, a portrait of two people that are caught up in something that's going bad and 
I think he's honest on both sides. Some people find Dylan to be somewhat misogynistic. I don't see that. I see, especially on this album, I see a lot of honesty in both the narrator character, which is most of the time him. It's mostly first person. And the woman who is the, the other party. I feel like they're, they're very honest portrayals of both characters and very forgiving for the most part. Well, it's funny, like what you just said then, the narrator being him, but obviously they're not. It's the, the, the character that's narrating is often not him in a sense that, you know, it's not Bob Dylan, or at least there's some kind of distance no, or it's, yeah, character no, there for him as well. I mean, yeah, I teach songwriting workshops and I tell my students, you know, even if you're writing a first person love song, I in that song is a character. You know, it may be you, it may not be you, it may be partly you, it, it's probably some kind of an amalgam of a bunch of things, but it's a character. And yes, that's exactly right. But the, uh, the narrator is who he is, he's having the emotional experience that he's having, and he's viewing this woman, this this other party in the song, through those eyes. There's a lot of bitterness there, and I find it completely compelling and believable and real. And there's also, like, there's a third-person narration sort of set up in some of this. Like, in Simple Twist of Fate, most notably, is the, you know, it's a third-person song where he's sort of outside the situation. And it's a very, it's, it's a kind song, like, which is not an, a, a quality that I necessarily associate with Dylan's writing a lot. But that's a very sort of, like, you know, elegiac-looking wistfully at a, at a relationship. They sat together in the park As the evening sky grew dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Tingle to his bones Twas then he felt alone And wished that he'd gone straight And watched out for a simple twist of fate yeah, that's. I think that's one of the things that when I when I sort of reheard the album twenty five years or whatever it was after it came out, I was so taken with there's so much tenderness on it, and there's the same with you're going to make me lonesome when you go. There are reminiscences that are there are some really tender sort of romantic elements on this record. He seems very vulnerable in the songwriting to me, and I think that's why the more bitter songs feel so real to me because he's never hard it's sort of like the edges feel very permeable and that feels like a real vulnerable hurt person yeah or even like especially in something like if you see her say hello there's even a some yeah. lines in there like i've always respected her for doing what she did and getting free so it's there's the kind of that's a song where he's like looking at the end of this relationship that's dissolved and either he or the character that he's representing is saying like she was right to leave him and he's the one at fault and i have to say at this point i have to interject that you know an album doesn't exist outside of the i don't think outside of the time frame that you associate it with and as it happened and i don't think it's a coincidence i really fell in love with this album when i was in the middle of getting divorced and so i think i just you know, I know so intimately that you go through, you go from being bitter and angry to being sort of philosophical and being able to back off and look at the bigger picture, which is like, if you see her say hello, but you, you go back and forth between these, you swing between these extremes. And I just feel like the album 
captures that so perfectly. So when you were listening to this record during that period, were you finding yourself like sometime listening to it and really finding yourself in the middle of the emotions conjured up by some of these songs and then unable to relate to others and then it would flip or were you just going through that whole journey every time you listened to it? I always, you know, I mean, one of the things that music has always brought me is the ability to submerge myself in whatever the emotional context of the song is. And I've never didn't relate to the songs. I mean, I, I think that I think one of his gifts is that he brings you to a place of empathy, regardless of whether the song is kind of a bitter diatribe or a more philosophical or even a romantic outlook. I mean, I think that's what songwriters do. If, if they're doing it right, you know, they're opening up our, our empathy channels. So when I was going through my divorce, I, I sort of recognized every phase of this. And I mean recognized on an emotional level, not, not intellectually. Right. How has this album, or how have the songs on this album influenced your writing since that period, since discovering, rediscovering this record, going through that period in your life where you were attached to it for all those reasons, and, but just as purely as a, as a songwriter, how has this record been an influence on you in the intervening well, years? I think that up until, I can really clearly see a line of demarcation in my own writing that coincides with my sort of falling in love with this album. And that was that, you know, previous to that time, I was really trying to create beauty in a way without really understanding completely that what needs to, to come before that is honesty. In other words, I think I was trying to put answers to all of these events that combined at the same time, going through a divorce being a major one, it humbles you. It makes you realize you don't have any answers. It makes you makes you realize that all you really have is questions. And I think listening to this record and sort of, and I mean, I listened to it hundreds and hundreds of times. So really more than listening to it, I absorbed it into my skin. I think it made me understand that what I needed to do to deepen my own writing was to not go for the beauty or the sort of surface anything clever, but to go for the lines and the music that really hurt. To go for something that's honest enough that it's a little scary because it's self-revealing and, and it's painful. And I really, like I said, I really can see a line of demarcation for myself. I don't know if anyone else can, but the albums that I made after that point were much more painfully honest and I think that was a turning point for me in my songwriting I definitely think it was a way forward for me and what I realized of course is that the more you do that it's a little scary to be that to sort of reveal those thoughts that you have at four in the morning but what I realized pretty quickly is that when people respond to songs like that they're seeing themselves in them. They're not really seeing you. They're not really concerned about you. The songs are like a conduit for, they're like a mirror that you're holding up to someone else. So I kind of lost my fear about that going forward because I realized that's a really deep and strong reaction that you can elicit from a listener if you just be brutally honest with yourself and brutally honest in the song. And I think I, I think that was what I took the most from the Dylan album because some of those songs are so brutally honest, they're hard, they're, they're painful. And you've had that experience that you're just talking about. You, you're not listening to this record going, I wonder what Dylan was going through in this period or trying to get inside his head. You were listening to this record and it was totally 
pointing the mirror back at you on your own experiences at the time. Exactly. I mean, that's why I responded to it so strongly. That was kind of a breakthrough. It was kind of a light bulb moment for me. I, I realized, oh, this is what I do. This is what I need to be doing. I need to be really taking a good, hard look at whatever these human situations are in these songs and holding a big mirror up and saying, look, this is what's going on. And it, it, it really felt like, for me, it felt like a big step forward in the evolution of my own writing. I've seen love go by my door. It's never been this close before. Never been so easy or so slow. I've been shooting in the dark too long. When something's not right, it's wrong. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. Dragon clouds so high above, I've only known careless love. It always has hit me from below. But this time round, it's more correct. Right on target, so direct. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. Have you covered any of the songs on this record before? Have you played any of them live or covered them for any projects? And if if you have, what has that experience been like? I haven't, except I've played You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome when you go a few times. Just like with friends, jam sessions, that kind of thing. I've actually thought about a couple of these songs. You know, usually I pick for any given tour I pick one cover song that we kind of do at the end and I've thought about them that covering a Dylan song is a particularly daunting thing to do first of all because a lot of people do it in an ill-advised way oh yeah and you know I used to I mean back a long long time ago when I was first playing in folk clubs when I was a teenager I covered a lot of early Dylan stuff but I've thought about it I've thought about a couple of these songs but no just mostly kind of jamming with friends and that kind of thing. And when you go back and listen to the record now, so many years after and you're first hearing it, having all those experiences we've just talked about, listening to it initially, nowadays when you put Blood on the Tracks on and you listen to it, what's it like to hear that record? Well, it's, like I said, no album exists outside of the time when you kind of fell in love with it. I mean, it's a little bit like a romantic affair in the sense that you, if you see that person years later, you go right back to the time and place where you were. So on an emotional level, the whole album takes me back to the time when I was going through a divorce and the time when I was falling in love with my now current husband and all of that stuff the emotional part of it takes me back to a pretty tumultuous time. But I think on another level, as a songwriter, I can listen to it now and just appreciate the genius songcraft that's going on in this record. I mean, it's, it's the, to me, there are two parts of songwriting. And if you have a great song, gut level, brutal honesty, uh, the truth, the authentic truth, and the other part is just the songcraft. And I, you know, I've done a bit of reading about how he made this album, and I know, and I've heard some of the outtakes, and so I know, I know that he put these songs through many, many permutations. They didn't just magically appear. He worked on them, and that's the craft that should be invisible and is invisible in the end. But I go back and I listen to it now, and I can, I can appreciate it and see it. Well, on that note. Gretchen, thanks so much for talking to me today about your favourite album. Thank you so much, Jeremy. What a pleasure it was. If you see her, say hello. She might be in town.
Tangier She left here last early spring Is living there I hear Say for me that I'm alright Though things get kind of slow She might think that I've forgotten her Don't tell her it isn't so Well, that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. pierced me to the heart She still lives inside of me We've never been apart If you get close to her Kiss her once for me Always have respected her for doing what you did and getting free.